What's going on, Renaissance? Uh, my name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, really glad you guys are with us. This is an incredibly important Sunday. Um, this generosity campaign that we are on is one of the most exciting things that we have ever done. Uh, we really want to be a church that are the hands and feet and that the neighborhood, the community will know uh, that our relationship with Jesus exists far outside of these four walls of a worship service. Uh, if you uh, are planning on giving, if you haven't thought about giving to what we're doing, and again, we're bold about this because we're not keeping one red cent of this money, uh, I would challenge you guys to go home today. Uh, don't worry, we're not going to pass the offering basket around uh, a couple more times like they did in my church growing up. Uh, just to go home and to think about uh, what it looks like for you to be generous, uh, to give towards uh, something bigger than yourself, and to join us in this mission. All right, so uh, I grew up in Westchester, right outside the Bronx, and for us growing up, uh, when you would go shopping, you would go to the mall. Uh, you would go to the mall, get a Cinnabon, walk around the stores, and it was a, it was a good day. When I was about 12 or 13, however, uh, my brother and I would hop on the Metro North and go to Fordham Road. And going to Fordham was a different world altogether. There was no Auntie Anne's, there was no Cinnabon, it was a bunch of stores, and then there were also people selling stuff to you on the street. And I'll never forget one day, we hopped on the Metro North, got to Fordham Road, and we were walking up the street, and there was a guy that comes up to me with this beautiful, gorgeous gold chain. It had a price tag on it still that said $500, and this nice gentleman informed me that this chain was worth $500, and he just got it from Macy's. So it was real, nothing to be worried about. He says, I got it for $500, but I kind of need to get rid of it. I'll give it to you for $200. I was like, nah, I don't have it. He was like, 20. I was like... <laughs> now, I should have known that a 1,000% price reduction in four seconds of negotiation was a bad sign. Uh, but I was 12 and I was naive, so I took the $20 out of my pocket and gave it to the man and took that beautiful, shining gold chain home. I got to school the next day and all of my friends were like, yo, J.O., that chain is nice. And I, was, uh, I, I couldn't stop looking at myself in the mirror with this gold chain on. Uh, it was a pretty beautiful thing to look at. The next week, it was shining, but not as much as it was the week before. And by about two or three weeks later, that beautiful gold chain had turned green, and it was leaving <laughs> rings around my neck. Now, here's what I found out that day. Um, time has a way of showing us what's real and what's not. Over time, the true nature of things is discovered, and things that we thought were genuine, solid gold turn out to be fool's gold. Now, it's not just with chains. It's uh, a lot of times we see this in relationships. Now, I've had my own fair share of puppy love relationships. Everybody had one of those puppy love relationships? When you're on the phone and you're like, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. <laughs> and you do that for like three hours. After about a month, it just turns into hang up. All right, bye, later, see you later. <laughs> but over time, uh, you see the difference between what was just puppy love and what is, in fact, a good, thriving relationship. As time goes on in a lot of these relationships, people hit barriers. There are obstacles to them growing together. Maybe it's that they have a different approach to life. Maybe somebody makes a stupid mistake, uh, or there's some stuff from the past that hasn't come up yet. Uh, but eventually, time has a way of separating what in our excitement we thought was 14 karat gold to what is 
uh, only fool's gold from a guy on Fordham. Time has a way of revealing the problems in our relationship. Now, it's not just relationships with people that this happens. It also happens with our relationship with God. Now, there's a parable that we're going to look at in today's scripture, uh, and Jesus is giving us some pretty hard-hitting and sobering truths that people can have a real excitement about God, about Jesus, about their walk with God, and eventually uh, they hit barriers. Eventually they hit obstacles, and what they thought was genuine faith, what they thought was genuine, real, 14-karat gold faith turns out to be fake or to be false. All, or, or alternatively, what they thought was perfect and had an amazing foundation, turns out that inside of it there's obstacles and there's barriers that prevent them from growing closer to Jesus. In this parable that we're going to look at there, Jesus is exposing for us some barriers that might be present in your life right now, some barriers that might be present in my life right now that are actually going to prevent you from growing closer to Jesus, that are going to prevent you from being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Um, And here's one thing that uh, Jesus gets at in this parable. It is not your emotional experience with Christianity. It is not your level of excitement. It is not um, how good you feel on any given day, but what Jesus is getting at is the condition of our hearts. The condition of the soil of your hearts is the factor that will determine what type of growth you and I experience. Uh, In this parable, Jesus uses some pretty biblical language. Uh, I'll start it off in verse 4. Jesus is getting at it in Luke chapter 8. It'll be on the TV screens to your left and to your right. It says, while a large crowd was gathering... And people were coming to Jesus from town after town. He told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. Now, the language that Jesus is using here is uh, the biblical language of producing fruit. Now, nobody in here is a farmer. Any farmers in here? Uh, None? Okay, good. Um, We have, you're a farmer? No, you're not. You're making that up. All right. She's going to repent of lying after service during our prayer. (laughs) Kidding, kidding, kidding. Um, Jesus is using this language of producing fruit. Now, one of the great joys of my life is going to Jamaica to see my mother-in-law. And not Jamaica, Queens, but Jamaica, the country. And as soon as we land in Jamaica, the first and only thing I really want every single time are mangoes. These mangoes are delicious, and they're way better than the mangoes that the people sell on on 125th Street. Um, Usually what happens with those are, right, you can buy them technically, but they get them from somewhere else, they pick them before they're ripe, and they ship them off frozen, and by the time you got them, they're degraded and they're not nearly as good. But if you go to Jamaica, and you get a fresh mango picked right off the tree, it will change your life. You will not look at life uh, the same way anymore. Now, here's what's really interesting about that. You can have great mango seeds, and you can have an amazing, skilled farmer, but if you plant those mangoes, those mango seeds, in Morningside Park, they're not going to grow. They are absolutely not going to grow in Morningside Park because the soil cannot support that type of tree. Here's what Jesus is getting at in this parable. 
It is the condition and the type of the soil, not necessarily just the seed, that will determine the type of growth and what is allowed to grow there. And Jesus gets into some really hard-hitting truths about the condition and the nature of our hearts. And in this parable, that's what Jesus is getting at, that it is the condition of my heart, and it is the condition of your heart that will dictate the type of soil, the type of seed, rather, that is going to grow there. And it's not just... um, our intentions, and it's not just what you want to happen, but it is a type of soil. It is the nature and the condition of our heart that will determine whether or not you and I are growing. It will determine whether or not that there are barriers and obstacles to you becoming like Jesus. It will determine whether or not God's word or the seed uh, is able to even make it into your heart much more than what we want to happen. So in this parable, I love um, how the parable starts, and then in verse 9, his disciples come to him and say, Jesus, we didn't know what you were just talking about. Like, we didn't understand that whole parable, which is comforting for me as a preacher, because there are times when I'm preaching and nobody knows what I'm talking about, and I'm like Jesus in those moments. (laughs) So Jesus' disciples, they come back to him and say, Jesus, what does this parable mean? And they gather around, and Jesus uh, goes through a couple of different types of soil. He goes through it with his disciples more slowly on what this means. Now, there is a couple of varying factors in this. Um, there's a couple of consistent things, rather. There's the seed, which is the Word of God. Uh, the seed is the same in every single soil. It's the same seed, and it's the same farmer. So the same skill, the same type of farmer, uh, the only thing that differs, the only thing that changes is the type of soil. And Jesus says that soil is our heart. Now, the word heart is mentioned over a thousand times in Scripture, literally, um, and it means a whole lot more than us modern people think it means. When we think about heart, we think about the thing inside of us that was hurt in the ninth grade when the girl didn't want us to escape the friend zone. And she was like, no, you stay right there. Uh, The word heart definitely ties into the emotions, but it means much more than your emotional state. It means so much more than that. And by heart, Jesus is talking about our entire being. And heart is a metaphor for the seat of your most basic focus. Like, what is your most basic focus? Your deepest commitment, what you trust the most, what we love the most, what we hope in, what we most treasure, what captures our imagination. When Jesus is talking about a heart, he's talking about the innermost, most central part of us. And he's describing a huge difference in this parable between real Christian, Christian growth and counterfeit superficial spirituality. Now, the first step, um, the, uh, the first condition that Jesus talks about is the hardened path. Now, I want to say this before we get into these. Um, you're probably, if you're like me, you're going to feel a little convicted or a lot convicted after uh, hearing through these t- different types of soils. I seriously doubt, and I hope this is not you, I hope that you don't hear all three of these and you say to yourself, oh, I'm great. Like, I don't have anything to worry about. Maybe the rest of the people have stuff to worry about, but me, I'm good soil. Uh, sermon wasn't for me. Maybe it was for my coworker. <laughs> You're likely going to resonate with one or more of these right now in your life. You're likely going to see yourself in one of these. And let me say this. Uh, the first step to real change is always awareness. And you're not going to grow. You're not going to become more mature by remaining ignorant. Uh, and Jesus is going to excavate some, st- some stuff in your life and your heart, and that's good. Even if it's uncomfortable, it's really good because the first step to real, genuine change is awareness. Now, the first one that Jesus gets to is the hardened path. And on, in verse 12, uh, Jesus describes what the hardened path is like. 
He says, those along the path are the ones who hear. They heard the word. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Now, this one is not necessarily fool's gold because it never grew. This is a one that is hardened and not receptive to the word of God at all. And there's a couple of different ways in which you and I could become hardened. Uh, the first one I think is pretty obvious from the text is simply not, not believing or disbelief. Uh, and there's actually places in scripture where Jesus goes to villages and says, I couldn't do anything in this entire town because nobody believed. That the work of God is prevented by your disbelief. And Jesus goes and, and describes this hardened path. And now let me break it down for you and what his crowd would have understood to be the hardened path. Now, in um, uh, farmland, there would be different paths that people could walk on to get from town to town. So that they didn't have to walk over the crops and step over the tomatoes. Uh, there'd be a, a separate hardened path that they can walk on. And over and over again, people would walk on these paths. And over time, they would push the path down and different animals would walk on it, and they would push it down. It would be so compacted, so hardened, that eventually, even if you put seed on top of it, it would never make its way down into the soil. It would just lay on top, and then birds would come, and they would take it away. Now, there are things that harden us that make it impossible for God's word to penetrate our hearts. Now, there's two, two things I want to elevate right now about those things that could be affecting you and certainly could be affecting me that harden us. And the first thing is other people. Now, I love the analogy that Jesus uses of the hardened path because that path became hardened by other people walking all over it. There are things that have happened in your life by other people that have hardened you, and that hardening is not specific. It's not that you've stopped trusting that person. It's that you stopped trusting, period. It's not just that you have problems with your dad for walking out or for not being there or for one reason or another, for your mom uh, for one reason or another. It's just that you now have a, an inability or a difficulty trusting God as your parent. Now, I've seen this in a lot of conversations we've had with people during our series that we did on the Lord's Prayer, and the first line of the Lord's Prayer is, Our Father who art in heaven. And so many people found a real genuine challenge to praying to God as their father because their own personal earthly father had done them so dirty. And because their father walked on them over and over again by disappointing them, by not being there, by abusing them, by being overly critical of them, that to turn to God as their heavenly father was difficult now. It wasn't just that they stopped trusting their earthly dad, it was that they stopped trusting, uh, they had a difficulty in trusting God, period. And what other people have done to us um, could truly and truly hinder and harden us and make it more difficult for us to actually even trust in God. Now, one thing I want to say before we move on, the hardening that happens in our lives by what other people have done to us did not happen overnight, and the softening of your heart will not happen overnight. It's likely that one great prayer at the bottom after service is not going to undo a decade of disappointment. It is very likely that one great sermon or one great podcast or one great Bible study is not going to unearth that. Now, this is why we strongly suggest um, the, the pairing of our emotional health with our spiritual goals. Because if we have things in our emotional past that are hardening us, it makes it more difficult for us to grow spiritually. Pete Scazzaro, the pastor, the lead pastor of New Life um, in Queens, has developed this book called uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And in the book, he says like this, we cannot grow spiritually if we are emotional infants and haven't processed 
some other stuff that's happened to us, that all the biblical knowledge in the world about God the Father, there's going to be a barrier, there's going to be a ceiling to how you grow if you haven't processed some of the hurts you've had, for example, with your own father. Now, this is one reason that we uh, are very, very excited to have uh, a counselor affiliated with Renaissance. Um, and part of the, the goal of counseling, and I'm in counseling twice a month, so this is not something to say, uh, you know, yeah, you really messed up, you need counseling. I think that there is something that would benefit all of us to make sure that we are bringing up our, uh, our past and processing them in a really healthy way. And that's, my, it, for you, it might not look like just talking to somebody, about, uh, talking to a friend about it. Maybe we need to involve uh, the help of a trained specialist. Now, if you want counseling, we have it for a very affordable rate through Renaissance. All you have to do is email grace at renaissancenyc.com. And grace is not a person, it's a theological concept. Um, a lot of times people air like they email and say, hey, Grace, uh, I was wondering. And I have to respond like, hey, sorry, it's me, not Grace, that's responding to this. Now, after you email grace at renaissancenyc.com, uh, I'm out the picture. The pastors of Renaissance are out the picture unless you want us to be back in. Every conversation you have with that person from there on out, from our counselor, is confidential between you and them. They don't tell me, they don't send me email reports like, yo, guess what she said last Sunday? Now I know why she's been so difficult because of this, this and this. Uh, all of that stuff stays confidential, and we would greatly, greatly, if, there's, if something like this resonates with you, uh, I would love for you to consider that as an option um, going forward. Uh, the second thing that causes hardness of hearts that we have uh, is on the other side of the spectrum of what has been done to us, and it's what we do. Uh, Jesus describes this as sin, and it's a word that our modern ears uh, revile at a lot of times because uh, that word has been beaten into some people's heads, so much so uh, we've targeted people with that word uh, of sin. Now, sin basically means you've missed a mark. Um, sin basically means that there's a mark, there's a target, there's a goal, and you and I have missed that. We were selfish when we were supposed to be gracious. There's a, a million different ways that you and I can and do miss the mark over and over and over again. This is not limited to one person, one people group uh, of people. But in Scripture, it gives us a real warning about what sin could do to our hearts in the sense that it can truly harden you so that the, the soil of your heart would not be receptive at all to what God is trying to do in, in your life. Now, here's what I've seen about my life, and I know this is true about other people. Nobody likes feeling bad about what you do. Nobody likes feeling bad. And there's two things that you will do in your life. You'll either stop it or eventually you'll start to justify it. If you stop, then the, feel, the bad feeling goes away. Everything is good. But if you don't stop, eventually you'll start to justify that thing and it won't even hurt anymore. Now, I know this from personal experience, things that I've wrestled with in my own life. Uh, that at first, the first time I did it, or the first time I said that, or the first time this was going on in my life, it hurt. It disturbed me. It grieved me inside. And then eventually I kept on doing it, and it didn't hurt as much. And eventually, over and over and over again, I became completely hardened, and it didn't even bother me one bit. Here's what Scripture tells us about what sin could do to us, and this is a, a big warning. It says in Hebrews 3 and 13, it says, "'Encourage one another daily as long as it is called today.'" so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Encourage one another as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now what happens is, eventually, our hearts are hardened by uh, this, the deceitfulness uh, of sin. And you guys, um, to be deceived 
It means to accept something uh, as true, even though it's false. That eventually, if we're deceived, that we would accept something that's false and we would believe it to be true. And that's what sin does to us. We don't want to believe that what we're doing is wrong. We don't want to believe that we are uh, messed up in one way or another. We don't want to believe that anything inside of us is off. So eventually we start to deceive ourselves. We, we get deceived and we start to believe a lie. And that's what scripture calls um, a stronghold. Now, eventually our actions are never isolated. Our actions are never isolated from our hearts. Uh, eventually that thing that we're doing is going to lead us to a place where we become hardened. And uh, to a certain degree, it would get you to the point to where you deeply believe that one thing that is false is now true. And that's a danger for every single person in this room, certainly myself included. Now, a lot of people, I've seen them kind of go in one direction or another in faith, and their spiritual condition did not start with the fact that their English professor mocked the Bible. That wasn't where your faith started to get rocky. Over and over again, I've seen it in people's lives, that uh, their, their lives started to become hardened by sin and its deceitfulness, and eventually they started accepting things that were false as true. And then you see them years later, years and years and years later, and they are completely on the other side of the spectrum, and they will not listen to a word in the contrary because they have been hardened. Now, this is a danger for every single person, and um, if you think that there might be some hardness in your heart, whether it's from what people have done to you or whether it's in your own life. Here's a couple of things that I would greatly encourage you to do. Uh, the first is to ask God to do an inventory of your heart. Psalm 139, 23 and 24, it says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there are any offensive ways in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The first is a very simple prayer to say, God, I know I can't do it by myself. I need you to test my heart. I need you to test my heart, and I need you to lead me in the way everlasting because I cannot lead myself. The second thing to do is to ask God to give you a new heart. And this is especially true for people who don't know whether or not uh, where you stand with Jesus or maybe you've never made a commitment to Jesus, uh, is to ask God to give you a new heart. Uh, in Ezekiel 36, it says, uh, this is God's promise to us. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And this is why David prays in Psalm 51, God created me a clean heart. Listen, God tells us to ask for it because he will give it. And if you're thinking that your, your life might be, uh, your heart might be hardened, the, a great way to start is to say, God, I need a, a heart of flesh. I need you to soften my heart. And God is willing and able to answer those prayers. And the last one, and this is a really important one because most people are going to want to skip over this one, uh, is to confess what's going on in your life to someone else. Yep, that's the hard one right there. We can all pray to God, God, search me and see if there's any way inside of me that's offensive and lead me in the way everlasting, oh God. That's a, that's a, it's a difficult thing to, to raise that prayer to the surface, but it's, it's easy. It's still private. The third one is confessing what's going on in your life to someone else. And that could be after service today during prayer could be in your DNA group this week. Uh, it could be to a trusted friend or a trusted associate. But here's what Scripture says about confessing our sins. It says in James 5 and 16, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Listen, our walk with God is personal, but it's never individual. Your walk with Jesus is personal, but it is most certainly not individual. Individual. 
And there are some things in your life, and I, listen, I know this from personal experience, there are things that I've struggled with in the past, and I will tell you the date that it started to turn around is the day that I confessed to somebody. The day that I, I confessed to someone and I didn't keep it by myself is the day, is the turning point from when I started to experience a softening of my heart and a change in my life. And to keep things inside of you is disruptive. David says, while I kept silence, my bones rotted inside of me. There is something that happens to us when we keep stuff inside. And listen, if you think that your heart might be hardened by one thing or a million things, you need to get that out of you. And you need to confess that to someone that's trusted, uh, a brother or a sister that won't hold it over your head, but someone uh, that will listen to you. And if somebody is confessing their sin to you, don't try to fix them. Do not try to fix them. Don't give them a 48-point improvement plan on what they need to do. Listen. Seriously, listen. Listen, listen, listen. Don't rush to some advice. Don't rush to some grand conclusion about how you're going to, some deep meditative words, some reflection, some blog that you read. Just listen. Hear their heart. Ask more questions. And then pray for them. And then commit to asking them how things are going over and over and over again. But you are not going to be their savior. You're not going to be their one that's going to fix it. But you can pray for them and you can ask good questions. Now, the second type of uh, soil is, is shallow ground. And this is what Jesus is talking about in uh, verse 13. It says, those on rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe it for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Now, I've joked about this in my own life, uh, things I get really excited about, and then it lasts for a couple of weeks, and it goes away. The times I've had these grand uh, plans to work out five days a week, and my wife is like, why don't you start with twice a week? I'm like, nope, we're going to do this five days a week, two-a-days. I'm going to run 10 miles in the morning and go to the gym in the evening. And she's like, well, I don't know how that's going to work. And sometimes I'll do like one day, and I get really self-righteous, and I condemn everybody who doesn't go to the gym and who doesn't eat as well as I did for that one day. And then three weeks later, uh, if you ask how I'm doing, I'm on the couch eating Cheetos, uh, not working out. I don't have a root, a deep root established in working out. I don't have a rhythm. I don't have uh, things set in place to keep me in that. And this is what Jesus is talking about. There are people who receive the word initially, they're excited, but they don't have real roots. So in the time of testing, when the winds of life start to blow, they fall away. This is what Jesus is getting at. Uh, When the winds of life blow, they basically crumble. And here's what Jesus is saying. The private internal life of each person Uh, And the depth of their roots is going to be the thing, the determining factor in whether or not what you see from them is merely fool's gold, that shining chain on Fordham Road, or whether or not it is, in fact, 14-karat gold. Now, every year, millions of people go to see the redwoods in California, and they are absolutely beautiful specimens. Uh, Some of these trees are longer than football fields, uh, and they're gorgeous, and they've survived the, the, the time of testing of the winds for for decades and decades and decades. And the reason they're still standing is because they have deep, deep, deep roots. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around a Christian who has deep roots, but being around them is to see something that's absolutely beautiful. I've had the privilege of being around a couple of women and men of God that just had deep, deep, deep roots, and it changed me. It affected me. It made me see the difference between my life and their life. They had deep personal convictions, deep established history that would carry them from time to time. 
And that for them, it wasn't some flash in the pan, but it was uh, decades long of commitment, of joy, of real spiritual fruit. And they didn't get there overnight, and neither will you and I. Now, one of the things, uh, I read a quote that really convicted me uh, from Richard Foster in his book, The Celebration of, of Discipline. He says like this, superficiality is the curse of this age. We live in a world of shallow relationships, superficial conversations, hurried moments of prayer, too much television, and light commitments. That type of soil does not grow the Christian character that we think we want to get. And this is what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about uh, the shallow soil, the shallow soil that has no roots, that's filled with superficial conversation and hurried moments of prayer and time with God and his word. Now, one thing you should have all gotten on your way in is one of these um, uh, reading plans for this week. If you didn't get one, they'll be at the info desk on your way out. And I would greatly encourage every last one of you guys this week, whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or whether or not this is your first day in church and you don't know anything about anything, uh, I would greatly encourage you to read through these uh, readings every single day and to spend some time. Don't just read it and, and rush through it to say you did it. And if you're doing another reading plan, skip it and do this one instead. Uh, but my, here's my heart. I don't want you, and I certainly don't want me, to be someone who has no roots, and you confuse emotional excitement with genuine spiritual growth. I want you to dig roots. I want you to have deep roots in God, deep roots in God's Word, and this is a great start to meditate on some of these truths that we find in Scripture that will dig, dig, dig deeper in your life. Now, the third soil that we see is the one that's full of thorns and weeds. In uh, verse 14, it says, The seed that fell among thorns stands for the ones who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. They do not mature. If I'm being honest, this is the one that scares me the most. I've read enough to have roots. Uh, I have enough people in my life that will, I think will keep me from being hardened. Um, but there are so many things that I think that can distract me uh, from ever maturing to the point that I, that I want to be in. Jesus gives us a, a really dangerous uh, analogy here, that there are people that your soil is actually good, but there are other things in your life, there are competing interests, um, the worries of life, the, ri of the worries of, of riches and pleasures that begin to choke God's word in your life, that it grows, it starts to grow in your life. The soil is pretty good, but there are other things in your life that are starting to choke out what God intended for you to have. Now, growing up, my dad didn't like a couple of my brother's friends. Um, they were knuckleheads, and he would call them weeds. It's a deeply offensive term, but um, <laughs> you can talk to him after service about that. <laughs> Here's what he was getting at. These guys are going to choke out the good things that are going on in your life. These dudes are grade A knuckleheads, and no matter what your intentions are in life, if you're around them enough, they're going to choke out the good aspirations that you have. And lo and behold, most, both of them, the, the, they've been in, in and out of prison their entire life for drugs and different stuff like that. And he was right. Uh, had my brother stayed around them more, he would have gotten more and more involved in the, in the foolishness that they were doing. And here's what Jesus is teaching us, that there are things inside of our lives, um, where, whether it's our worries, whether it's the pursuit of richness, uh, the pleasures, whether it's that we think that God's intention in our life is for this beautifully easy and perfectly diamond-encrusted life, you know what? That's going to choke out God's word in your life. If you think that the purpose of God in, you, in this entire universe is to make you happy, 
then eventually that's going to choke out God's word because anything that calls you away from this fleeting moment of happiness is going to distract you. Now, in this um, example, I certainly see myself in this uh, more often than I would like to, um, times where uh, I make decisions or I'm tempted to make decisions based on my comfort zone and based on my bank account rather than my deep personal convictions. And that stuff stifles us. It doesn't allow us to grow. But and it's choking out the fruitfulness of what God had hoped for us, for what the seed would become. Listen, when God plants seeds in our lives, what do you think God hopes for that you would become? What do you think that God, when God plants the word of God in your, in your life, what do you think that God hoped for you to become? Worried about everything that's going on? Worried about riches and different pleasures? Or do you think that God planted these seeds in deep hope that you and I would become closer to him and his son, Jesus Christ? It's a real danger for us to neglect this. Uh, there are competing interests in our life that can choke out the fruitfulness of what God intends in, in our lives. Now, here is the good news of the gospel, um, is that you and I, we need a gardener for our soil, not a lecturer. You and I don't need a lecturer to tell us what's wrong with us. We need a gardener, someone that's going to help us undo the hardness of our hearts, someone that's going to help us to break up the shallow ground in our life and allow us to dig deep roots, someone that's going to pull up the weeds in our lives. And that gardener is not you, and it's certainly not me. It's Jesus. In John 20 and 15, uh, Mary Magdalene, one of Jesus' followers, has this amazing um, uh, line where Jesus asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who it is that you are looking for? And Mary believes, it says, thinking that he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And the first person that Mary confuses Jesus with when, after Jesus is resurrected was a gardener, and that's what Jesus is. Jesus is the gardener of our soil. He is the gardener of our hearts. And Jesus' best work, Jesus' best work and deepest commitment to us are shown in the garden. In the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, you see a picture of Jesus praying, and he's sweating blood. And as he's sweating blood, he's saying, God, Father, I pray that this, uh, you know, if it's, if it's uh, possible for this cup to pass over me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And in that garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was showing us his deep commitment and his deep absorption and relentlessness for you and for me. And later, Jesus goes to the cross in what can only be described as the greatest act of love this world has ever seen. And he didn't do it for people that were perfect. He didn't do it for people that already had perfect hearts. He didn't do it for people that weren't shallow. He didn't do it for people that uh, didn't struggle with weeds in their lives. The Bible tells us in Romans 5 that while we were uh, still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus shows us his deep commitment to us in the garden. Now, if you are feeling like your life has some hardness or in your life has some superficiality and some shallow ground or your life has some weeds that are surrounded by it, then I would encourage you to, to turn to Jesus, the gardener of our souls and the gardener of the soil of our hearts that is the only one that's able to turn a, hard, a hard-hearted person into a heart of flesh. He's the only one to allow us to have deep roots in him. He's the only one that can pull out the weeds by showing us uh, what a true and better life in him looks like. So I want to turn to him right now in, in prayer. Jesus, uh, you are the author and the finisher of our faith. Uh, don't let us believe that what you have started, we have to finish. 
Uh, Jesus, help us to know um, that you who have started a good work in us, you will complete it. And you are the gardener of our soul that we can turn to. Jesus, we confess our hard-heartedness, our shallowness, and the ways in which uh, we let uh, competing interests choke out the, the word that you have planted in our lives. Jesus, I pray that you would excavate our hearts and that you would continue to lead us into the way everlasting. Would you be with us? Would you lead us into life in you? Jesus, let me pray. Amen and amen.